see Walt getting fired up. Right, right, yeah. it, it wasn't just the, the refs. No shit. They suck. But no one said it was just the refs. that in a minute. Anyway, welcome everybody to the unconventional introduction of the 60th episode of the Light Shed. Me too. Um, Brandon Ross, along with Rich Greenfield and Walter Pisick, and Rich Greenfield's phone. Everything okay over there, Rich? Everything is just fine. I don't know why it switched audio inputs because the okay. phone rang. You know I just got to turn the phone off. That that's that's fine. Rich is turning his phone off, uh, which will give Walt and I, the Sixers fans here, um, a chance to, I don't know, lament what happened the other night and yeah, it wasn't the refs although number no. 42 ref is horrible made terrible calls it's not the refs it's a collapse of a team it's a team that does not know how to win unlike you're seeing me represent for the podcast listeners unlike my high school from philly that i'm St. joe's prep once again national champions at the collegiate rowing excuse me high school <laughs> boys rowing championships um rowing championships um this year first place national champions Reg. congratulations walt for, for, for our know, podcast listeners walt was a rower in but, high school and by the way was joe st joe's prep also yes he was and he oh, was, he a, was. A far and better he was rower a, than i ever was at the prep that's well, for sure joe joe is certainly a more strapping lad than you are <laughs> that is definitely true <laughs> Like and the most mysterious he, man alive. The most interesting man Oh, sorry. Alive. I forgot that. They should bring that commercial back. I love That was the best commercial ever. But what know. was the crowd like in Philly, Walt? Like, how was the experience you know, of being I, in a packed stadium? So I'm also, I'm also repping my Odyssey hat. Um, <clears throat> another Philly company or close therein that because I listened to their radio show afterwards, obviously. WIP. And there was a lot of debate about like the worst losses in Phil. I mean, when we lost to the Panthers and the Eagles lost to the Panthers in the 2000, I think it was four um, NFC championship for like the third time when Donovan completely fucking choked. Yeah. Uh, that was, people were fucking crying and cursing. In this case, you know, people were generally dejected. I mean, during the game, it was just kind of more shocked than anything else about what was going on. But, you know, they don't play to win. The other frustrating thing, as those of my Twitter followers will know, is I had my T-Mobile phone and I was trying to uplink pictures of different things. I saw Meek there, by the way, in front row with Meek Mill. What is what is Yo, you, 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 you had about? you had the baller seats going, Walt. I had great I was, seats. You, yep. you had, where were you, like third what, or fourth row? Third off the row. Floor. Yeah. Well, I was. Well, for, wait, hold on. For our podcast listeners, you were trying to upload pictures, just pictures or video, like huge no, no, video no, just files? pictures. Just texting just a pictures. friend a picture of Meek talking to Bob Kraft, wondering what is Bob Kraft talking to Meek about during the game? Like, Bob I just Kraft was there. Yeah. W oh, with wow. Meek sitting next to him. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. I, I have so Jesse many more questions about Kraft, but we'll, Jesse I won't Isler ask. Jesse was there. I mean, it, you know. No, AI right. was there. I, I, AI, AI was sitting next to Dr. Yeah, AI knows how to work a crowd. He was awesome. Yeah, he's he's I mean, the best. He came like right up. I'm, asha I'm ashamed. I I was sitting at the shore with StubHub up, and I was gonna pull the trigger and come. In fact, I there were tickets in your section. I wasn't gonna go as baller as you did. Um, I don't know if I'm. Ha I may be happy that I didn't do that. I didn't 
I look, I took um, two of my kids and you I think the best time who grew up in New York. And I think it's important for them to have these classical Philly letdown experiences, <laughs> but truly embrace. But you, you're saying there's not letdown experiences in New York also. I, I, well, I think Mark, who's listening, what was it? Seven with 17 to go. <laughs> Mets. Well, uh, I hear you on that. How about Jets fan now? So it actually works. We know how to really in, in, ingest this stuff and create a full bitterness. So they needed that experience, I think, um, to really fully appreciate the wins because they've had some good, good years since they're younger. But, but Rich, it was frustrating because I was trying to text some of these pictures to friends, upload to Facebook, the gram, you know, social people do use social media and the T-Mobile network didn't work. I looked up in the Wells Fargo Center, it said Comcast country. There was no fucking free Wi-Fi. I tried to get on Xfinity that could, using your password, that didn't work. So, you know, we talk about 5G and a lot of people just focus on the downlink. Like, this is the issue that I keep coming back to is like, this is how people are, the pandemic, we saw it with Zoom and your problems with the cable companies. Now in the wireless networks, like, you know, there's going to be you know, fans there, by the way, it's not a capacity because you can see the picture behind me. They're still blanking out seats. It was a capacity for as many seats that are there. Um, but uplink is an issue. And, you know, some people were trying to troll me on Twitter saying like, well, you know, this is 2% of the time. No, it's not 2% of the time. People go to events a lot. And frankly, to me, it was reminiscent back in the nineties. I'll never forget. There was a Morgan Stanley analyst, Colette Fleming, who was a great analyst and people were kind of rolling up and going national with their networks. And at the time, that version of Verizon was Bell Atlantic. And I always remember saying Bell Atlantic Mobile. Yeah. Bell Atlantic Mobile. Right. And she was like, Bam. well, you know, all of your usage is in your home market. So you don't need to be national. You don't need to be regional. And like, this was the pitch that they did because, but the reality is it is those 2% of the time when you're driving out of the city and you hit that dead spot that you want to fucking kill your wireless carrier for not delivering. And it's this time, like, guess what? Social media is important, right? Well, I, use- I go further than that. It's the times when everyone's gathered in these big events, right? Where you probably share, want to share the most. Like those are the most yeah. photographable or shareable well, moments. Is- like when you're home alone, yeah, you can take pictures of your kids or your pets. But you're going to be like- on Wi-Fi. You're not going to be on the cellular right. network. That's, this is the whole fair. point of the right. cellular network when you're out <laughs> but, of the home. But Walt, isn't like right. all like the biggest use case for 5G that I keep seeing like in terms of promotion, like in stadiums? I mean, sure. They they talk about this, so it's it's kind of crazy. Maybe they haven't gotten to the Wells Fargo. They can build these. Yeah, and they like can build these gas all these systems extra and, towers or whatever the fuck. I mean, it part is. of it might be five G. Part of it might be fiber. But you would think that in a location where there's tons of people. But look, it's more than that, though. Anytime people are posting five G, you're like, oh my five G is so great, and they show these speed tests. They show these great downlinks. Like, who gives a fuck if it's a gig versus two hundred megs down today? Obviously, there's going to be apps that could fill that capacity. But if you're showing me, if you're one of the first 10,000 customers in a market on 5G and you're so, showing me garbage uplink at 20, 15 or 20 megabits, as more people get on there, that's just going to get used up more. And this goes to the user experience. So I'm sorry to come back to the same issue again because you face it on, on Zoom. But like, it's crazy that these operators continue to just let Legato sit there in terms of an uplink option or at least do something different in their network to address what they need to improve service. It was bad. Sorry, it was bad. And I just wish I was too dialed into the game to ask the AT&T and Verizon customers around me, 
whether they were having the same issues. So you won't be doing a lot of Fortnite while you're watching the Sixers lose is sort of the key uh, thing. Enough with they, they might win tonight. <laughs> and that well, WIP maybe, 610 rant was sponsored by <laughs> Verizon. Exactly. <laughs> More like at t because Verizon's the Whatever. one that runs up late. But maybe that was actually need, very well done, Brandon. <laughs> maybe right. they need maybe they need to bring the varsity eight of the St. Joe's prep rowing team in to give those quitters some idea of what it means to close out a race or in this case a game dude i can't with this and like can, can we go to the first supposed slide? to be like i was so riding so high between the sixers and isles a week ago on this podcast and i'm like fucking crushed right now so <laughs> let's let's hope they both can turn it around um sixers in atlanta tonight and isles at home tomorrow where i will hopefully be at the game and Mark what do we guys point out on the real place? Let's go. That was cathartic okay. for me. I appreciate All right. it. So, you, need, so, you needed that, Walt. You needed that. Ta- talking about <laughs> Sorry, epic listeners. <laughs> he needed talk, it. You can talking suffer about, like we are. Exactly. <laughs> talking about epic collapses. Linear TV is having an epic collapse with ratings down. High single digits upwards of, you know, mid-30s, depending on which network across CBS, ABC, NBC, and Fox. But the crazy thing, Brandon, that we were talking about yesterday is that the ad market actually is incredible right now. I mean, the upfront is actually going very well. And advertisers, you know, probably just as we were talking about, probably just the economy yeah, just being, the, you know, the economy, the, the economy is completely on fire. So this this doesn't surprise me at all. But it's just these are numbers in terms of declines that we have just never seen like this level of decline. And yet the upfront looks like it's actually going it, pretty it's well interesting with TV. And this is something that we've seen year after year after year um, since individual um, networks, even like when when uh, cable networks started to really, really take share from broadcast broadcast always held up um, in in ad dollars. There's just always been that the, like the rate, the total whatchamacallits, the units continue to stay the same or cost more, even though the eyeballs shrink. Well, think about it. If you're NBC so this when's year. when's that going to change, Rich? Well, okay, so that actually leads into the next chart, which I think is important. So the next slide we've got, Nielsen actually, Brandon, started this new thing called the gauge. And it's, it's basically their old total audience report, but they're now going to break it out monthly. And so it, they're basically going to include Cable and broadcast, which makes up, I don't know, 54% of total time spent in the month of May 2021. But then they're going to show streaming and they're actually going to show you the top streaming services. Netflix, YouTube, Hulu, Prime Video, Disney are the top five ranging between six and one percent. And other streaming, which has things like YouTube TV and HBO Max are in that, you know, that other category, none of them getting to one percent. And then there's other other, which includes everything like DVDs, watching to video game play and other things. I mean, DVDs obviously collapsing. Gaming is obviously exploding, but it but it's sort of an interest collapsing. Yeah, (laughs) I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. DVDs are collapsing if you hadn't heard. But what's interesting about this, but what what was interesting about this is sort of one, if you Nielsen sort of basically said that the the streaming share, the 26 percent is growing by about one and a half percent per quarter and has accelerated from one percent per quarter. So you you basically can look at this getting, you know, north of 30 percent by the end of the year. 
and the cable and broadcast pieces continuing to shrink, which sort of ties to that of last course. chart. Yep. So the question is, is just at what point does the 54 become so small over the next couple of years that the ad model really starts to break right. down? I think that'll be the real question is it just I mean, becomes, yeah. but it becomes it, too small to matter. But it already broke down from a hundred, right? It, so you already did. lost 46% of it. And well, no, no, no. Cause you still had DVDs. I mean, you had other by stuff the way, in Mark there. Mark says 64, not 54. Okay. Yeah, 64. I was doing the math there. I was like, 36. Rich, Rich is yeah, never like, which together. slices go together again. He's, yeah, no, he's an no, no. idea guy. He's big picture. <laughs> I'm not a math guy. You guys went to Wharton. I didn't. I didn't go to Wharton. So clearly I, I don't do math as well. But what was funny this is why here, we have a complimentary team. Wait, 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 but I got to tell you a couple of the funny stories that happened. So, okay. so Reed Hastings tweets out this picture of Nielsen. He tweets out wild that most TV time in the U.S. is still legacy linear. Stream team needs to up its game. Jason Clark, who runs HBO Max or Warner Media, we need you on the board too. So the funny thing is, Variety writes a whole article. Reed Hastings wants Jason Kylar on his board of directors. Like a total misread of the tweet that instead of we want you like Wait, being. Hold on. In their defense, it says Reed Hastings tweet does say we need you on need the board. Correct. So that was kind of his right. fuck up, was it? Yeah. So, right. so Reed obviously, you know, fucked up. Uh, so then Reed tweets isn't back. Isn't kind of Like, how stupid <laughs> can you can you be? Like, it was maybe, just awesome. Maybe that was maybe that article was written by AI. I know that's uh, like the big trend now. <laughs> so 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 Reed had a tweet out again, a response saying on the scoreboard. I meant, but 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 then Jason Kylar tweets back. Warner Media is already on the board strongly in that large green pie, the 39%, which is cable TV, yeah. piece read, TBS, TNT, CNN, HBO, um, Cartoon Network, etc. Proud to serve customers in whatever way they choose. Fun to also be the crazy fastest growing upstart in HBO Max, two quarters straight of two and a half million U.S. sub ads. Now, we certainly have talked great. to the we, fact... Yeah. We've talked about uh, HBO Max growing while the other streaming services stagnate. There's clearly some you know, good. <laughs> there were some good risks that HBO Max took this year. We'll see how everything yeah. plays out when Warner Bros. Discovery um, uh, it c comes. But the, the the bottom line is you have that that giant pie is going to be eaten away at by these streaming services. All the streaming services should have runway. There's going to be, uh, like everything, winners and losers. And Netflix does have a pretty good content advantage, and that 6% is going to grow um, significantly and over time. For our podcast and, listeners, one thing – oh, sorry, Brandon, we I think no, that's it. One of the things Rich didn't mention when reading that tweet is all the emojis that Jason once again used in his tweet. Wait, let me bring it back up. Jason, I think that's yeah, this, we, we love you. Some of your, some of your, palm, your happy face. Are thumbs a little up. Like, Lots of emojis. Yeah. He, he also likes to like post these like sappy tweets. Like he's on the, I'm on the lot at the Warner <laughs> Brothers studio and I'm so insane. He's very sentimental. He's very emojis. sentimental. Yeah. He's an emotional guy. But I just want to come back to the sort of one thing that's sort of funny about this. Like we're we're a large piece in the green pie, which is cable. So we're a large piece of the rapidly shrinking, you know, of the pie that's shrinking the fastest. We're one of the largest pieces of that pie. Not exactly like the, the real thing I'd be cheering about. 
Um, I mean, but it's factually true. Right, when, when you're saying though. we're, what do you mean? Well, Warner Media is a large piece. Is that green thirty nine percent? Oh, right. You're talking about the right. networks. Got it. Yeah, we I'm are. just saying like those networks were... are in that gotcha. thirty nine, yep. but viewership is falling rapidly, and so right. is that really like something we would be cheering? And conversely, you know, HBO Max didn't register one percent within that. They didn't get to be called out as even one percent in the streaming piece. So. You know, it, it just gets to the fact that, like, look, we're big believers in HBO Max. We love what they're doing, but it clearly still most people are watching HBO on their cable box. They're not using the HBO Max app. And I think that's what Warner Brothers has to or what Warner Media now Discovery or Warner Warner Bros has to figure out. Thank you. Oh, thank you. That was for you, Walt. Warner Bros has to figure this out yeah. and get people to use HBO Max that's religiously fantastic. every look. single day. The bottom line, yeah, the bottom line is, uh, like, they do have all those cable customers. If the content is good, right, yep. over time, if they cord cut, they're going to stay on as, as over-the-top customers. So, like everything, it comes down to the content, both in terms of quality and the amount of content. And that'll, you know, determine the future for HBO Max. So uh, I did a little audible, and so I moved up um, just oh, HBO Max, just because. Well, just because it, it it flowed well with HBO Max, and so in the Heights actually underperformed at the box office or disappointed in the box office. Now I don't think it's really fair to look at box office only because it was day and date on HBO Max, but there's also data out that it was actually relatively subdued. Samba TV is reporting this is a deadline tweet. In the Heights has slow start on HBO Max in addition to the soft box office opening. Look, I, you know, I, I think the reality is um, the strategy overall has worked pretty well. I think, you know, we just, you know, Brandon, you were just kind of sort of talking about the the sub ads that Warner Brothers or HBO Max has yeah. had over the last couple of quarters. But it's I, been also, really I good. also just talked about how content would drive it. Right. And right. if this content wasn't I don't know if it sucked or anything because I didn't watch it. But if it I actually really liked to, it to but. the liking of the audience or a topic that some people weren't interested in, then it's not going to do well no matter what. I mean, there's yeah, but I want to but I want to shift gears, especially yeah, now the people are out of the home. But I want to shift gears because it's something that you and I have talked about a lot thinking about Netflix. It's not always absolute viewership, right? Like certain shows get different people to subscribe that's or right. keep you from churning. And yeah, so absolute viewership, yeah. right? Like, so when you're building a bundle on a subscription service yeah. and trying to drive ARPU, purely looking at viewership is probably right. not the right so metric. So you're saying, in isolation. Does, does it, does it hit a demo potentially that HBO max doesn't have strong subscribership in? And if it does, then you know, then it's a, a worthwhile and or value added endeavor. So you have to look at subscription economics very differently than you look at box office. Bingo. That was the exact okay. way that I think no okay. one's talking no, that's about a great, that. That's a great point. And it's something we talk about all the time, Rich. You're, well, and it, and it plays into on. this. So there's this tweet on the right side that somebody tweeted at me. I hadn't actually seen this, but there's an article in Deadline how there's a Marvin Gaye um, musical biopic, basically an African-American music biopic north of $80 million budget that Warner Brothers is greenlighting. Is it and it sounds sexual like sexual healing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you definitely threw me off there. Like I, I lost <laughs> complete track of what I was going to say, um, but it's going to be a 2023. And at least the article insinuates that it's going to be day and date. So I know Walt has been, sort of leading the charge of like, once you go day and date, why are you going back and putting 45 day windows? 
like they're going to do for like their major tent poles in 2021. It sounds like at least on smaller pictures and 80 million is sort of smaller budget. It sounds like Warner Brothers is still very much open to doing day and date um, with HBO Max for for their more modest budget yeah. films. Going that's, forward. that's kind of what Jason said, what, a six, eight weeks ago, whenever that was. Right. He indicated kind of like the big stuff. Like the- but I think, uh, but again, that's the type of that's the type of movie or piece of content that, that continues to expand the demographic, right. keeps bringing in new audiences, different angles of what sort of the traditional HBO viewer might have been. Excellent point. Okay, let's talk, um, especially our- for H- like HBO. What it's known for, it's known for appealing to, you know, the coast. <laughs> So now let's talk about Clubhouse. No, sorry. The Spotify green room and Facebook's live audio rooms. I don't even know what it's. Does it even have a name yet? I don't even know if Facebook has a name for this product. It may just be Facebook live audio. I don't actually even know. Uh, but they look strikingly like Clubhouse, which I can't think. Have I, I, It's funny. I saw one of those pop-ups yesterday and I accidentally clicked in and I realized it was the first time I'd actually been in the Clubhouse app in like a month and a half, at least maybe even more. Actually, I think it looks much better than Clubhouse. I like the green uh, you know, coloring you know that they did. It just looks more professional than when Clubhouse still looks like today, which kind of looks. And and their sort of product development at Clubhouse has been slow. And my argument for Clubhouse back several months ago was, well, as a standalone app and a destination and and Clubhouse being focused on just one thing, that product development, it was going to, you know, uh, increase in utility and and probably have faster and better product development than these other um, competitors. And that's just been anything but the case. The Clubhouse product kind of sucks, to be honest. I haven't tried these two out, but they look pretty slick. You might have been right. Maybe it's just bad execution. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Uh, I mean, first of all, I'm still not sold on how big the overall category even is. Like, we'll see. I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, this is only a few of them, right? Like Discord has it. I mean, we could, there's a yeah, lot of live audio about, out there right now. about all of them, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not clear to me if there's a true quote unquote winner. I mean, Twitter is definitely leaning in. I mean, we talked to them. They definitely really, seem very- really. This is I don't again I don't we, we had a key pro, uh, project for them. We talked to Kayvon last week for a while, and it, they're laser focused on this. It's a priority for. Twitter. We also did a light shed live with with Odyssey and talked about this, and and a lot of it is the problem is the the amateurs that get on there are talking about either controversial topics, they're basically pitching and selling something, and it's just garbage content. Odyssey has access to a lot of high quality content. I mean, they would seem like someone that could kind of mix that with the user generated stuff and and have this being a feature on stuff that's like a place to go for live content. Walt, I couldn't agree more because it, it plays right into the idea of Spotify, right? Like you have all the artists on Spotify, like, right. you you know, like it, it it appears like why can't it just like be an all extension? The, like then you're saying essentially saying all the different use cases um, for live audio are just going to be fractured to um to the platforms that well, it's fractured i, I think it's used, i think it's actually using your concept of a purpose app in this case odyssey becomes the purpose app for no, live no, no. audio and then but, that's just another no, version think, of live audio i think well, that that the purpose driven is, yeah. driven like is not 
live audio though live audio is just the feature of a different purpose Maybe. it's an extension well of a but let me purpose. let me give you a different spin like walt you've been loving i think you've been ranting and raving um about the espn tv app like you've become a super fan of espn on a streaming television i think apple tv or i don't know which one you've been using the most but apple, like you apple love that TV, app. but we'll talk about that later no, no no i understand but but my point is is like why does espn not have a live audio experience on their mobile app like you know, it's just like it seems so obvious that like in the places where the, the conversations happening, like maybe maybe that's Twitter, maybe the new maybe the, yeah, but is, the, but, prob- but, the problem but with in that of- is you don't want to be watching a game. And it's well, that's not what he's talking about, though. He's oh. just saying if sports fan goes to the app. Oh, OK, sorry. It's become, but my point is like, look, the, the, the reason whoever the guys are at WIP in New York and, and in Philly, the reason they've been on for 20 WFAN. years. WFAN is because they're talented content creators. So Correct. like ESPN could theoretically attract, you know, some athletes to go on there and it, it might be interesting, but like an athlete, um, not all athletes can be entertaining. Some of them do move into the broadcasting world and do quite well, but like, it, I think there's a certain talent that succeeds in radio and, and Odyssey is kind of the home for that. So I don't Look, understand. The, uh, I, the biggest takeaway is, doing live audio is a skill and there's people that are very well trained in it and just random people creating their own content isn't so interesting after a point. Yeah, it's exactly. So after when Brandon talked about this before in terms of clubhouse after an event, everyone gets together. And I think you trolled him at the time is like, isn't that just talk radio? So imagine Spotify or ESPN, just letting fans come into a clubhouse type thing. The beauty of talk radio is they bring on a regular caller Right. That makes a has a kind of a story. A they bring in a random person that rants, and then the they moderator. Find, yeah, the moderator is someone who is skilled at it. Correct. Yeah, Mike so, and the Mad Dog. Right. I mean, like yeah, we go I back, mean, yeah, like as good as it gets. so. You could you, so Brandon, you could argue that look, Spotify could go out and hire the Joe Rogan of moderators for sports. But my point is, those people live yeah. at Odyssey and, and, already. No, I, I no, I understand. <laughs> but and my point at the time is that like in any of these other new platforms, eventually you will have people emerge who are the best in that, in that format, the quote creators of, of that. But that's already happened. And they, they're at Odyssey. Right. Like the reason fucking. Yeah, you're, the you're, mat- you're right. You're saying that like, it's no different than a radio. They survive show, daytime talk radio so, and drive yeah, exactly. time radio, which yeah, is a competitive so, market. You're right. You're right. It's the format isn't different enough from that, that that's the people who should be hosting. It's already been proven who the best is. So let's stick on the topic of audio. So Spotify inked an exclusive deal with Alexandra Cooper, hoster of the popular podcast, Call Her Daddy. Um, It's one of the most countries. This is Axios saying it's one of the most countries, most popular shows and wields an audience of mostly younger women. Why I think this is such a big deal is that I think it signals a real shift for Spotify. So if you remember early on, Spotify bought a bunch of companies. They bought Bill Simmons's company, The Ringer. They bought Parcast. Like they bought a bunch of Gimlet. They bought a bunch of sort of podcast um, companies that have lots of podcasts that show up everywhere. Like you, you know, Walt can listen to them on uh, what app do you use, Walt? You love um, Car- uh, Castro. Castro. I love Overcast. Whatever. It doesn't really matter. Like everybody has their own app that they love using. But all of these things are widely distributed. What Spotify is really shifting gears, I think, 
is that they really are following that Netflix model of exclusive only available here. And so they're forcing people to use the Spotify app for podcasting. Yeah, so that's what they did with Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like that's what they did. You know, if you look at like this with this deal, like they're forcing different demographics because Joe Rogan and Alexander Cooper, very different demos, very different sort of target listener. But they're forcing people into that Spotify app and making that your home base for podcasting. And I think you're going to see a lot more exclusives and a lot less sort of just owning or having widely distributed podcasts. I think this is really about locking people into the Spotify ecosystem. And I would just keep an eye on this because it feels like there's a bigger shift underway inside of Spotify. Because I don't think like Bill Simmons matters, like all the podcasts that he's launched in Spotify. I don't think any of that's mattered to date. What I found interesting about this has nothing to do with anything in the investment or sort of business strategy world. It's just, if you go back to what happened with Caller Daddy a year ago and how Portnoy pulled pulled that bullshit and broke them up and then he just got, (laughs) they just jacked that podcast right from under him. I thought it was hilarious. They did keep their merch sales, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. But I, I thought that was the funniest part. It uh, it's definitely amazing how powerful, you know, well, it's, I guess it, the point is it's very hard to make money on podcasts alone from an advertising standpoint. Obviously, Spotify, or if you think about Barstool, Barstool's main goal is driving people from audio, from content into sports betting now with Penn. I, I think you probably can see it's probably not so easy to, to directly monetize outside of advertising. How do you monetize a podcast? Whereas Spotify is trying to have a much larger or greater goal. And so it might just have been too hard to compete financially. It just, as you think about it. Yeah, clearly it just remember Portnoy was like, Oh, like the, you know, these girls are lucky to be getting what we're paying them. And then, and then they get jacked by Spotify. Yeah. For way, way, way more. So Alexandra's value was way more than what Portnoy said it was a year ago. Even it's just hilarious. So, Brandon, um, I think you're going to you're going to be going to playoff hockey. I hope so. I hope you're going to playoff hockey on on a Saturday night. But I think we'll be able to watch you. Hopefully we'll be able to watch you through Peacock because Peacock. This is NHL and NBC Sports tweet. Peacock TV will stream all remaining Stanley Cup semifinal games starting tomorrow with game one between the Canadians uh, and the Golden Knights. And then there's a second tweet from streamable. uh, Just in series is already one one. So this is an oldie. Uh, it is. This is a couple of days old. Justin Peacock will offer Philly Giants series nationwide this weekend without local broadcast. And so clearly, you know, sports, which was not a huge part of Peacock at launch outside of sort of EPL. It, it just feels like more and more Peacock is leaning into sports. Obviously, they did the WWE Network exclusive deal to bring in that content. We'll obviously have the Olympics this summer, but it definitely feels well, I like mean, pulling the semifinals out of the bundle feels like a pretty um, big no, deal I know, right i know nbc is you know getting rid of the nhl um but that's you know it's not some regular season crap games it's the highest rated games of the year yeah we're second to the next round of the stanley right. cup finals and we'll see what happens with that are they going to put the stanley cup finals i, I don't know I it just I, I again it just surprised me i mean that was no not, I mean, necessary. wow. Yeah, because remember, you can get Peacock for $5, no bundle required. If you're not a Comcast subscriber, like you can just get it for five bucks a month. Like, 
that's a. You know, I, I mean, I'm just like wondering for those who pay retrans. You know. right, like, what are you paying for if you can keep getting more and more sports? All the NFL games effectively I mean, you can that, get now yeah, without. To, to me, that's like you're paying NBC retrans, and then they say, "Okay, we're going to take." You, you know who we need as a special guest on our podcast to answer that question, Brandon? We need Charlie Ergen. We need the Charlie Ergen viewpoint <laughs> on why is he paying retrans for what is being provided for basically, you know, right directly without him. I mean, like, why does not, he have to pay? It's not like NBC has any new comedies this year or anything. Either, so. <laughs> the, the, other, the other aspect of this is it's a small segment in the market, but uh, like a friend of mine, I don't, I'm not really a, a hockey person, but there's a friend of mine in one of my chat groups that's into hockey and he's fucking bitching and moaning about having to go to Peacock TV, and he hates hate, hates Peacock TV. The reason he hates well, why it, does he hate it? Yeah, the reason he hates it is because he's a slow technology adopter, using you know used to turning on whatever I don't know if he has Verizon FiOS or whatever it is his television. So for him, maybe he's got a, an old TV that he has to update or whatever it is. It's just it's an incremental challenge for some. But why does he have to? Why, why can't he just watch on the bundle? Right. It's been a, like last night's Isles game was on USA. Like all the games have been on NBC USA or NBC Sports. Yeah, maybe right? it's because you read a maybe it's because you read something and said, oh, it's going to be on Peacock. And maybe he thought that was, gonna yeah. be, you know, the only place. Look, yeah. it is yeah. really confusing. Just no, then, like, like, no, I think. Well, yeah, that, no, no, no. I, I think bro, point. That's what it Walt is bringing up a confusion. Yeah. Walt is nailing it. Like if you're a consumer, ESPN, ESPN plus. Peacock in USA. Well, like, HBO Max, when that happened, my, my the other segment of my friend group was like going crazy. Where do dude. I go to watch this? What, remember that show was dude. where the husband murdered the girlfriend? That, that one, like everyone was look, freaking this goes out back, about how to watch it. Look, this goes back to why is HBO Max not on that board of streaming? It's because there's still HBO and it's confusing. And like, like they're just, they're not understanding. They're not putting the consumer first. Like they, they need to start with your friend and say, how do we make his life easy? And splitting up the content and saying some of it goes here, like some of it goes here, like it's just not an optimal way. I get they're trying to maximize revenue and maximize the business model, but they're fucking driving the consumer batty. Now, to be fair, this guy is very technologically inept. So many people in our chat group often just tell him, please reboot your VCR and see if that helps to fix it. Um. I hear you. Well, that's uh, it's like sorry, restarting the printer. Um, we've had that conversation multiple times. Well, exactly. Um, let's go to streaming TVs because the, the TV OS wars is something I think we've all sort of been spending a lot of time on this podcast. So TCL, which, you know, surprisingly hasn't done much. They, they talked about doing more with Google TV in the U.S., the, the interface it's, that we it's, love. It's clear that they're not going to no, rich. Well, but but hold on. So TCL is rolling out Roku in the UK. This was talked about for a while, but it's actually happening. So now you have Roku as the TVOS embedded inside of TCL TVs rolling out in the UK. Obviously, this has been a huge success for TCL and Roku domestically. Overseas, it's mostly been an Android Google market. Um, we were talking to TCL a couple of weeks ago, sort of like, why are we not seeing the big push on TCL uh, mm -hmm. with Google TV in the US? The interface is coming, so it's going to shift from that old kind of crappy Android TV interface to the Google TV interface. I think over the next four to eight weeks, you're going to start to see that populate. Uh, that interface is already playing out on Sony, which, Walt, I think you have a newfound respect for that interface. 
Yeah, look, I mean, my view on this has obviously evolved. I've been super bold on Apple TV, whatever, 18 months ago, thinking that they should really push it into the Christmas selling season last year, which they didn't. But I upgraded, when I was in Philly, I upgraded my mom to a new Sony television. The interface was ridiculously good. Just going back to some earlier comments you were talking about as far as HBO Max, the one interesting thing is the remote has YouTube, Netflix, Disney, and Amazon. Obviously, HBO Max is not one of those buttons, which kind of underscores it. Even when my mom was like, hey, I like HBO. What is this HBO Max? Anyway, the point is the interface was good. I think as people upgrade their televisions, like she used to plug in an Apple TV, that is now going to get thrown away because in even in that television itself, you have access to Apple TV Plus and she can airplay to her phone. So all the functionality that she would have gotten with her Apple TV, she now gets with that phone. And by the way, it's an Android fucking television. So really Google owns her now in terms of the interface. Did you try the Google voice search? The Google voice search, another interesting thing. So she's a Comcast Xfinity customer and she presses the button. And when she goes to the TV app and the TV integration into the Sony TV is also phenomenal. She can just say, yeah. change the ch- all the shit that, that she wanted to or dad had done in Xfinity. She can now do with the, with the Google app and it changes the channel and does a thousand times more yeah. better things because unlike the Xfinity box, which only integrates what Netflix and one or two others, this integrates all of the apps, right? So it's a better experience. Look, we but have talked about it for a long time. The point is that people, everyone's saying, right, that um, everyone, people are using the native TV operating system for um, for their sh- streaming, yep. right? And even whether it's Vizio or whoever it may be, li- linear, linear, linear TV um, viewership, and tying that together with TCL um, and Roku. Each, each of these TV manufacturers are aligned with an operating system. And eventually it just seems like market the way market share is going to go for connected television is based on um, manufacturer. So Vizio, whatever their TV market share is, is going to be their operating system market share. Same thing with Samsung. Yep. Sony um, with, um, with Google and you know TCL with Roku. Now, what does that mean, you know, for the future of all of those businesses? Is Roku's eventual market share limited to whatever TCL and their other manufacturing partners have? Does that mean they need, you know, to well, hit, I, I, like do some M and A? Like, well, no, I think it also for- means that international is going to be more important for Roku going forward, which is you know that why that TCL Roku was interesting because they're clearly going to face more competition domestically. Obviously they're building out the ad tech stack. They're we've talked 37 times on this podcast yeah, about them I building mean, out yeah, a content engine. Business, not pivot, but but international yeah. is going to be very important I think. Can they actually eat into Google market share or other companies market share overseas? Still very early, uh, you know, we'll see. They haven't really given a lot of disclosure on the size of their international business, but I do think that's going to be a very important topic to watch over the holiday selling season is like, can they start really gaining meaningful is that in share? Terms of, is that in terms of dongles or, or television? No, embedded Operating. TVs. I think that I, I think the dongle business is dying okay. to Walt's point. Like, I think the dongle business Except is not me. along. I, I love the uh, dongles. You, once though. you see these new TVs. Well, you have it's, one, so. Uh, yeah, my and my view. Look, I my view has changed on that. Let me just go back though to what Brandon I think was getting to, which is 
vertical integration and the king of vertical integration for devices, hardware and software is Apple. So you go back to something that <clears throat> I forget the name of the analyst um, that used to predict the Apple TV every year. Um, but like, look, this is an opportunity and you could argue like there's nothing really special about it. But like, I mean, look, they made they try to make a speaker. They try to make basically earbuds. And those have been hugely <clears throat> successful, successful businesses. Like maybe if Apple looks at this and say, yes, we can partner with whoever TCL or whatever, but maybe they just say, look, what we can contract manufacture a television, make it OLED only super sleek, you know, jack a huge margin. And they've got a, you know, a very loyal base of customers that might just buy an Apple TV, fully integrated hardware and software. So who knows? Maybe that, maybe and that the operating system with the operating system. Yeah, and right. they sell services on top of the operating system. And then they pitch because that. Speak, you should because see, being you should an see, app. Hold on. You should see all the things that I had to agree to for my, when I set up my mom's Google Home app and like all the information. I had to put her birth date in there. I don't know why that was, or maybe I shouldn't have done that. But like, so all this stuff, like Apple could pitch privacy. Like, okay, they, no one wants to see what you're watching on television. Just like they said, no one wants to see what you're, you know, surfing on Safari. Mm -hmm. And they're doing Look, the it, it has shocked safari. us, Walt. It has shocked us that all Apple's wanted to do is build an overpriced dongle and be an app on other people's TV versus actually be the OS. Like the well, OS is where the is, that Apple TV dongle is effectively fucked. I think so. I was wrong on uh, that because I thought it could be a huge winner. So now it's like they got to go the other way. They either have to push hard on integrating or do the Apple model of, of full yep. integration. One other thing, Rich, when I was setting this up, my mom, because you mentioned DVD, I think Brandon was trolling you on the DVD. My mom does have a DVD player. I did have to plug this into one of the inputs. But as- Was it, was as, it a Blu-ray player? It was not even Blu-ray, I don't think. Okay. <laughs> but okay. as I was adding- all of these apps and saying, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm like, why would you ever use, <laughs> like, she was just amazed at the number of apps and the content that she could get easily get with this, yeah. with this new television that was very easy to use. So, okay. Let's talk um, VidCon, which I've been going to, you know, for years. It's actually the John green uh, was one of the early uh, players that got John and Hank green got it started. It was basically a YouTube convention from, day one and every time i've gone you walk into the building in anaheim and it's like everything looks like youtube every, you know youtube is the title sponsor the building is branded youtube everything out front is youtube and so this year it's, it's actually happening not in the summer for the first time ever it's going to happen in october due to covid but this is a tweet from bella baldoza and it says tiktok signs as vidcon title sponsor for 2021 taking the spot from youtube and to me this just a look if you've been watching our, or listening to our podcast and listening to Walter Pysik, you know that where culture is happening, video culture is happening, is on TikTok now. And in terms of setting the agenda, this just seems like sort of like the penultimate, like TikTok is the title sponsor of VidCon. Like just feels like a big deal as a signal to creators that TikTok is playing a win. They're also, That's by all. the way, on the on the Euros started and their TikTok has been advertising along the banners at all the Euros. So I think there, there yeah, might I be just kind of a broader too, impact yeah. of TikTok, you know, pushing advertising out there. I mean, is that reflect sometimes when companies advertise, maybe yep. there's there's some type of slowdown in usage. It's possible that that could be an issue as well. I don't know. But VidCon has really evolved. <laughs> That's true. It's just like a YouTube thing. And then yeah, I mean, now Snapchat is Snap there and Facebook is, is there and Instagram yeah, is there. Exactly. I mean, and now TikTok's 
the king, which makes sense because if we go back to those time spent charts, yep. who's at the top? TikTok. Uh, I mean, they're not up to YouTube, but yes, they are moving oh, very quickly. Well, yeah. I mean, YouTube's still above it, but yeah, look, that, that's where they want to be. I mean, I think to Walt's point, like their goal is to win and revenues are growing rapidly. I mean, it's still tiny relative to YouTube on a revenue base, but it's growing rapidly. Uh, let's move on to My WWE, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I still have not gotten an advertisement served to me on TikTok, so I don't know what's going on with that. Uh, dude, I, I don't know. You must have your account marked weird. I get an ad almost every time I open it. Okay. Um, WWE, check out the new WWE champion credit card available from Credit <laughs> One Bank. Now, <laughs> what is this? Why, why are we? What? Exactly. It's We're great. going into fintech. This is our play into fintech. Exactly. So. This is fintech? Okay. This is no, I'm kidding. justifying I'm kidding. the multiple expansion in WWE <laughs> caused by the recent Wall Street bets um, price jump. No, seriously, um, WWE, like just taking a step back on WWE, they o- they always talked about how their their rights deals were under monetized for the amount of eyeballs that that they actually delivered and we saw it in the US so a massive step up in the domestic deals. I think the the next big <clears throat> target for them is sponsorship where they've dramatically under monetized given the audience size and and passion quotient of of the audience and a big initiative for them is to get those sponsorship dollars up it's one of the things that was contemplated in the peacock um deal for the network um they're getting help um from nbc there and this just shows another example of the different ways that they're trying to um to bring up sponsorship dollars on a i saw stephanie on a toward towards you know what the sports leagues get that's all and i saw I saw Stephanie do an interview yesterday, Brandon, too, where she was talking about just as they return to live in-person audiences, mass sellouts, like just gangbusters in terms of I demand mean, that's, to see live. Look, look, what does that how, anything have to do with the credit card? Well, just built your brand. Once you have all these people, give them more ways of interacting with the brand. And like you have credit they're cards getting have existed paid, forever. They're getting paid by the credit card for <laughs> company for yeah. that. It's a sponsorship deal, right? That That's... That's, I guess, the reason um, that it's in there. But yeah, getting back to like this live live event stuff, I mean, it's literally impossible to get a ticket to anything now. It's just the way it is. I more frustration as as I've tried to get tickets for things. Let's uh, move on to Quest or Oculus Quest because we don't I haven't done a lot on 3D lately, or sorry, on VR lately. Uh, 3D. Um, This is a game industry tweet um, from GI Biz, and it says Facebook is set to test in-app ads in its Oculus Rift virtual reality ecosystem. So we're going to turn to our expert on VR, our super fan, Walter Pysik. What is the update on Quest 2 usage, and will you like ads while you're doing your workouts on your Quest? Of course not, but that's what (laughs) subscriptions are for. Um, And yes, my usage is down. I mean, look, there's so much content out there. This is a unique content in its own right. Um, there's an issue like, you know, you have to actually strap the thing on and, you know, you always feel a little queasy afterwards. You know, it's not terrible, but, you know, there's it's kind of there's a weird sensation when, when you take it off. So 
Um, I don't know. I think there's still there's still a place for it. There just has to be more development, really fully taking advantage of it. Um, but yeah, usage is is definitely down. Plus, it's nicer of, out, so it's easier to couple, go for a run. Couple of jumbo thoughts on that. One is obviously Facebook is you know at its core in advertising um, business, right? Um, so makes sense that they're going to expand ad units into Oculus. Number one. Number two is they need to figure out a way to get people to build for Oculus, which means Correct. more That's ways right. to monetize. And if people aren't well willing to discreetly spend $60, $80, whatever it may be for an experience, then you need some sort of a free um, way of, um, of, of seeding the demand side and still getting people paid. So I mean, like makes, people are makes paying a lot of sense. I- I mean the 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 hardware itself is not cheap. the The individual games on there are, are expensive. For so That's like I, it just yeah. seems kind of a weird thing to layer in there as well. I mean, unless no, your unless no, your no, point no. is like you're going to get I'm going to get more stuff in there free. Uh, I'm yeah. talking about. But here's free. the difference though. Like if there's an advert if there's an advertisement on television or in the case of Peacock TV, when they go to ads, they just have a screen saying you're we'll turn to your program shortly. When you don't have um, something strapped to your face, you can actually look at your phone and do other shit. Yep. So to be a captive audience to an ad, um, first of all, that, that ad will be better <laughs> because you can't well, really escape it. High, it. high value interaction. That is definitely a high value ad, but it also is going to create probably some customer dissatisfaction if you're forced to um, to watch these Un- ads. Unless, again, like you understand that you're paying with your sure. attention as opposed to paying. Right. Um, so maybe with, it just drives it to subscriptions then. Uh, and, I'm sensing opportunity for Tim Cook to come 3D, in. <laughs> if we talk about 3D interactive experiences, and we've talked about Roblox a lot and Epic and so on and so yeah. forth, and the amount of experiences that are going to be created um, in, the, in that world and how sponsorship and advertising is going to find its way in. We see it starting to happen on Roblox already. That's a great it totally point, Brandon. makes sense for Facebook to, um, to, to plant their flag, especially since they clearly have metaverse ambitions and believe that the, what do we call, um, that VR is an important on-ramp to, um, or format for the metaverse. That's all. Bloomberg Technology has a tweet. Spain's elite soccer league, La Liga, is modifying the tender for its domestic broadcast rights auction to entice new entrants and to prevent the decline in the much-needed revenue, sources say. Um, it's funny because Europe is sort of struggling with declining rights while the U.S. still keeps seeing ever higher in prices. Uh, it'll be interesting whether... At what point does the U.S. really start to suffer? Because all of the all of the signs seem to show it should be happening, and yet nothing has happened. I mean, you know, contract after contract. I mean, we were just talking about the NHL, Brandon. Those numbers were incredible relative to. I mean, not maybe not incredible, but certainly very good relative to what's going on in Europe, where all of these uh, football leagues are increasingly worried about what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, we've we've talked about this ad nauseum. Um, so long as the multi-channel video ecosystem is in place and it's, and there is protection, there are networks who are trying to protect it. There's going to be competition now. But I wonder if it creates opportunities for like new players, like does the zone come in? We talked about NBC giving up, um, 
uh, on the NHL. Uh, we'll we'll see. You're going to need new players to come in. That's for well. The sure. zone came into Germany, right? So they came in and, and scooped yeah. up rights in Germany and took them away from Discovery, and and that yeah, was because, a really big because, deal with Sky because, because rights became um, more economically attractive to the point where they were paying dollars that they could actually you know sure. get back. Right. As opposed you, to people doing diseconomic deals in the U.S. to drive um, affiliate fees or well, or, or Amazon coming in and spending a billion dollars on Thursday night football when it was, you know, a contract that lost money at 600 million. Right. Like that's the difference is that you've had other players in the U.S. just jack price. Well, there's other price players in Europe too, and I think the reason Amazon has generally played more there is because the the cost of the rights was more reasonable. Help me understand this, Brandon. What is going on with Euro 2020 and NFTs or digital coins? <laughs> well, let me. You want to read this? Read that tweet. Um, as Euro 2020 tournament gets into full swing, a growing number of major league and national teams are launching digital coins in the wake of the pandemic that has slashed ticket sales, but fans are divided over the move. And then, you know, we have Fox Entertainment, Bento Box, enter the NFT space, launch $100 million creator fund through newly formed blockchain creative labs. Okay. So, Obviously, we saw the big NFT craze, NBA top shots, um, and all the attention it got and the speculation in the sort of digital collectible space. And that has fallen off dramatically over the last um, several Six months. weeks. Yeah, yeah. I, I think since May. Top shots is down, what, like 73% um, from the peak. However, uh, um, every all the leagues are still looking to um, jump in and monetize um, the trend, which I think is still good for the broader acceptance of blockchain technology. Right? You need collectibles. I see as an on ramp, um, and speculation as an on ramp to people understanding what's possible on the blockchain. Now, I'm still not sure what its role is in entertainment, though, in terms of content. Yeah, creation. So the Fox thing is is weird. Right. And this is an experiment. I, th I think the name of the show is Acropolis. Um, and I, it sounds like there's going to be some some ability for those who own um, uh, NFTs for the show to influence the outcome of so basically you're buying a part of the show and you, that's the right. NFT that's owner, right. can influence what happens. That's what, that's, what, that's what it sounds like. Now, I don't know if that's the most effective form of content creation. And if I've read that wrong and, and gotten that wrong, someone um, please let me know. But also there's going to be the ability to you know, own characters, NFTs of characters in there um, within the show. Um, pieces of art attached to the show. Look, I, I give them credit for trying. I give them yeah, credit for trying. Exactly. There's experimentation going on on how the blockchain will be used in entertainment. I think that's a healthy thing. And there will be use cases that um, emerge. Um, but I am a little skeptical of the public creating power, content or yes. influencing I, content I am, creation. Seems too. a little scary. And we've talked about DAOs. Like, yeah, I don't know. In like, general. But 
Um, we'll we'll see. I will say this about Fox, like they're forward, they're at, you know, experimenting and being forward thinking, um, in the same regard that they were with sports betting, say, um, which they became, you know, involved with before sports betting really, really began to take off, um, in the U S. So I want to end on, um, this chart from powered analytics. They tweeted this out the other day, basically to show over the last uh, I guess over the last five years, sort of the rise of weekly releases versus binging. Now, it's sort of self-fulfilling because Netflix uh, and Amazon were sort of the you know standards or the, the they were essentially doing everything on a binge basis in terms of releasing. And all of the new services, Disney Plus, HBO Max, Peacock, you know, as you've kind of launched Paramount Plus, like as you've launched all these new services, they're sort of sticking with the legacy industry model of weekly releases for their shows. Um, something Hulu's actually done for a long time as well. That's why in, even in 2017, that's mostly Hulu, I assume, in the in the weekly release chart. Um, but essentially part of the story here is, is like consumers prefer it. And, and I don't really believe that consumers prefer it. I think consumers will watch the content however they have to watch the content. Um, some may choose to wait till a series is over and binge it, which... I don't think really gets captured in this chart because if you end up watching something like, you know, the Falcon and winter soldier after it already ends, that's consumed on a binge basis, but you, but it was released weekly to start. So I don't even know how this really can tell ultimately how somebody watched. This is just how it gets released. But Walter, I know you've been watching Loki weekly. Uh, you liked WandaVision weekly because of all the sort of hidden details. Any thoughts on, you know, any updated thoughts on this? I know you don't like Wednesdays no, think, as your release for, day. Yeah, for me personally, end of the week is is better. Um, so I have not actually watched Loki because on Wednesday night I was watching an epic collapse um, by a certain <laughs> basketball team. So, um, yeah, so Friday. But look, I think my view, like the my view on the Apple TV has has changed on this, where I think there's certainly, I think it's right. It has to be both, right? There's certain things you want to binge. Um, but there's, there's definitely value if the pro if the content's good enough to be episodic and keeping people on there, especially as you, you rich have mentioned so many times before how easy it is to churn and then, you know, churn off and churn back on in terms of these products. So, I mean, Disney has done a masterful job at creating, you know, a couple of weeks of episodes and then maybe a week or two of a nothing and another couple of weeks of episode. I mean, it's just, it's just an amazing job. I think what they've done in terms of the lineup. I think the question becomes, you know, is the water cooler conversation individual episodes or the series as a whole? Like, what are you actually, you know, can there, does the water cooler conversation need to be, oh, this episode last night was awesome? Or is it this series is so awesome? Go watch this series. And which is better? I don't know if we actually know yet. Um, I, you know, I, I think there's probably positive. So Disney might be in a unique case here because the ecosystem of Marvel and Star Wars is very strong. So it, it, it's obviously going to be harder for someone to just start out with episodic and get that type of adoption. Because in most cases, like if you don't, if you're not already involved in that ecosystem of love, then, you know, you're probably going to wait a season or two. Like I didn't start watching Game of Thrones until like season three or, or any of these great. So your point is Paramount Plus comes out with a great new show called Infinity or whatever that show is called that, that they just released, whether it's great or not. 
the point is releasing it weekly makes it harder to get into something you've never heard of. Whereas if you could binge something, well, even brand Disney, new IP. But even Disney initially did this, right? Where they, I think they dropped two episodes of WandaVision. Am I wrong in that or no? I can't remember. I thought when they first started doing this, they did two or three to kind of get you over the hump and then and then went. So now it's just week to week. I think if you're if it's a yeah. brand new series on a, you know, a, a um, let's say not prime app like <laughs> Paramount, um, then you're probably going to need to drop more than um, just one episode at a time or you just do it that way and then hope people go back. Maybe you, you wait for season two or season three until you have some adoption, but. Look, I think the if you look at Apple, they did what you're talking about, right? Where they dropped basically they've been dropping three episodes, uh, you know, three the first three episodes, and then going to a weekly cadence. Although some of the shows series. they've dropped everything at once, so Hold the on. younger so the they, series. Did they do that with Ted Lasso? Did they where they dropped two or three at first? I don't remember. Because what'll be interesting is they Ted Lasso did that with the morning show. Correct. Remember? Which is interesting because the yeah. morning show had such a great cast. You would have thought that people would hit it from day one. But but I'll I'll be very fascinated to see if the strategy at Ted Lasso season two um, is different than what they did what they do for a typical new release. Right? They don't have to do it. They can do whatever they want. Right? They can do episode you know one at a time for the news the the you know the stuff that people like already versus absolutely right? they could do whatever they want. I mean, yeah. there's no rule. I mean, look, I think. Everyone's trying to figure out what the best strategy is to make their service have more users and more time spent. And I just go back to that first chart that we had at the very beginning of the podcast. Two services represent 26% of time spent. Sorry, you know, a, a half of the 26%, which is streaming. So between Netflix and YouTube, they represent basically half of that streaming time spent of all TV time spent. And what's fascinating about that is think about it. YouTube has bazillions of new content every single day. And Netflix has tons of content every single day bingeable. So there's always a lot of new stuff to watch every single week. It definitely seems like content heft is driving overall time spent. You know, we'll see. The others are basically a lot less time spent, generally at much lower ARPUs. It'll be interesting to see whether or not the weekly strategy, they end up realizing that Yes, it may be best for buzz and for social media cred, but if it doesn't translate to lots of subs and lots of ARPU because you have a lot of watch time, what the, the ultimate goal that you're solving for is going to be wrong. That, that's what will be interesting to see over the next couple of years of can they actually prove that a weekly release drives high ARPU and lots of subs? That's where the rubber is going to meet the road. Um, I think we've got some music to the end on this week, Brandon. You want to explain why we're using this? Yeah. Well, today oh, yes. is the 25th anniversary of Beck's Odelay. So how do you know that, actually? Like, how is that, like, sort of popped into your radar screen? Twitter? <laughs> really? <laughs> how do I know anything, Rich? It's, it's all on Twitter. I mean, I, I knew the album came out in 96, but or remember I want to remember that that or put it together that that was 25 years ago anyway this particular track of which is probably the signature track on the album right um was my ringtone for a while and that was a thing <laughs> oh my god that what, was other, what was the other song that Becca is known for 
loser is like exactly. That was a great way to end this week. Hold on, you know what my ringtone was? It was Snoop Dogg saying, "What's crackalackin'?" And I always remember it ringing on the Metro North train. Got a couple of Where it's at? I got That's episode 60, everyone. Let's enjoy your beach time today. Have a great weekend, everyone. Okay.